Hi, Lucy Eaton here, host of Hear Me Out. Quick heads up that the episode you're about to enjoy is a highlights reel from the full interview with this guest, so be sure to listen to the full fat version if you haven't already. And while I've got you, I wanted to let you know that we are officially now on Patreon! This means that you can invest in the channel monthly, and in return you get all kinds of perks. Just head to our page on patreon.com slash podhearmeout. We've popped the link in the show notes below, and we would love to have you join the family. I'm going to have to sort of restrain myself, Denise, because I'm quite, um, I think the official term is active listener. I'm quite a sort of like, mm, mm, yeah, 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 yeah. And it gets really old <laughs> when I listen back to the podcasts. So normally it's fine because when there's two separate audio recordings, I can just chop me out. But I'm going to be trying very hard to not constantly agree with everything okay, you're saying. Okay, but if you think I'm a bit quiet, I'm doing my best to be quiet. And it's not because I'm not loving the conversation. <laughs> I have to say, when uh, you agreed to come on the show, I didn't dare dream that you would want to talk about people, places and things. And so I was so pleased when uh, that is what you revealed you wanted to chat about. I mean, yeah, I mean, how could I not? Like, I, I just feel like it's something I would talk about forever. I would do it forever <laughs> if I was given like I had as much of an experience on that as you know, I was experiencing the spiritual thing just mm. as much as an audience was. I was right there with everyone yeah. thinking, fucking hell, this is incredible. Was there a point early on when you were like, oh, this is going to be different from everything else I've done. This is going to be transcendent in a totally different way. Yeah, it was the night that, so I noticed in previews, mm. like I knew how much I loved it. There was a moment in rehearsals where I did the the speech before the interval where she loses her shit and starts shouting about how she wants to live. And mm. I did that speech and I really went for it. And afterwards the room was really quiet and Jeremy Heron was really quiet. And usually mm. he would have he'd take the piss out of me a bit or whatever, but there was just a moment of, I said, was that it? All right. Is that okay? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, Oh, that's a bit, interesting okay. response I said, maybe this is maybe this is really because you see I as soon as I read the script I knew I, there was a it was a different play about addiction than I had ever seen or read before because mm -hmm. it was the most authentic um yeah the most authentic record of addiction I'd ever read and um and so I knew the play was special. I had known I had been out of work for a long time. So when they gave the part to me, I was like, okay, this is my re-entrance, which is amazing. I knew on the first day of rehearsals that I was over overwhelmed that I was working at the National, but it was when the play started taking shape that I think, and we started working with these people um, in the Freedom Recovery Center in Catford, Right. Uh, this little treatment center that these two brilliant women set up and uh, we were visiting them a lot and they were coming to the rehearsals and they came to our first run through in the rehearsal room and we all stood together and said the serenity prayer together and these were some people were on suicide watch you know they didn't have any laces mm -hmm. in their shoes and stuff so I was like this isn't this isn't about a play and I mean, I had sort of let go of all of that anyway, and I was just mm. in it for pure joy at that point. And um, but but I knew this play had a 
it was representing a tribe of people who are very important to me and they felt absolutely represented. So I knew that that was really special, but then on That's the- like a responsibility as well. Yeah, and it felt a bit like, oh, we don't have to care about what this does commercially. Like I never thought what was gonna happen. Right. I never thought about it. And um, I just knew I was doing a play that addicts and people in recovery were gonna love. The night before the press night, so the final mm. preview, we were doing the show and I knew that the guys from the recovery center were in. And so I had said to everyone before the show, I said, okay, so this is our opening night. The most important people are in the audience tonight. So this is our opening, our proper yeah. opening. And, uh, and so there's a piece towards the end of the play where she is about to, she's either going to relapse or she's going to go to a meeting and she picks up the phone and she decides to go to a meeting. And at that moment, she says, um, I was wondering if you'd take me to a meeting. And one of the guys from the treatment center shouted out at the top of their voice, good girl. Oh God. And I had to stop. So I stopped for a second and then I carried on and we did the play. And that was the moment. And afterwards I said, we did it. Like tomorrow night doesn't matter. The opening night, the press, the critics, the, the industry people, none of it matters because we just got these people to a place where they believed in her and this play so much that somebody who had never been to the theater before shouted, good girl. So we've done it. And so now we must continue to do that. One of my residing memories from seeing it, and I saw it on the West End, so I missed it at the National, sadly, was the bow. And I can remember coming home afterwards, and I keep a diary, and I can remember writing in it, I loved that Denise Goff smiled during the bow. Yeah, because I wanted to be, sometimes you see an actor take a bow and they show you how hard it was. Yeah. But I was I can't so, be doing with that. I felt like Muhammad Ali at the end <laughs> of my bow. And, and the, the very last night of the National, like I had a blackout in the in the bow because I I couldn't, it was so overwhelming and the audience mm. were going so nuts and I was like pumping the air like this and then I turned around and then the whole cast was on stage and then I turned around and all of the people from backstage were on stage and I was like in the center of this huge ring of people like clapping and I'm like hugging everybody and I'm <laughs> for a minute and for a second and the company manager said you have to leave the stage because this is not going to stop and um man get off the stage it's really it was really intense really really intense I never believed in single curtain calls either I don't like them I mm. always think why is one actor taking a bow right so I'm a bit of a purist about like it's the company and it's the team yeah. and yeah and then on the I think it was the third preview I went out and I thought everybody was following me and they didn't follow me. And the audience went berserk. And I thought, oh, it's not about me. They need a minute with her on her own. So I learned that, okay, so that's a good lesson that, you know, get my ego out of the way and give the audience. They need to make sure she's all right. They need to like thank her, all of that. Yeah. That's true. I think of all applause. I always think that's an interesting thing that when you see, it's very rare, but when you see a show where someone has chosen, a director's chosen not to have people bow at the end and you go, you're taking something away from the audience. Like they need that closure. 
Yeah, because in ancient times, it was the breaking of the spell. Like it's witchery. What we're doing is witchery and sorcery. Mm, and if you don't break the spell, the actors have to take it home with them. And that's not okay. Like it's not fair to expect actors to carry the weight of the whole thing and that. not get anyone like you're you're basically clapping away the spirits you know so the speech that you've picked yeah. <laughs> what is it so you've picked what was what you described as the acting and addiction speech it was in the audition uh i had prepared it i'd been asked to prepare it and i couldn't stop crying through it and jeremy said <laughs> you know, maybe she's not so emotional. And I said, I have never been allowed to speak, to do a speech like this. So if you decide to give me the part, then after two weeks of doing it, maybe I'll stop crying. But right now, no, <laughs> right now I am emotional as the actress doing a speech that was written. How did he know what it was like? How did somebody put what it is like to be an actress so perfectly like in the year I was out of work before people places and things mm -hmm. I finally had decided I'm going to go and be a teacher and I'm going to be a great teacher mm -hmm. I had met myself and on the darkest night of the soul and thought you're really all right you need to stop giving your power to this industry mm. and so when people places and things came along I had no need for what you thought of me I had no I didn't care that's yeah. why the whole process was just about I'm working at the national on a play that means something that if the, if it all ends now, I'm good, you know? And, and so it was so funny that this big explosion then happened as if people, you know, suddenly were like, oh, you're allowed in. It was like, no, no, I'm good where I am. All of that stuff, like the sudden awards and the, all of that was just icing. It wasn't like the cake was already well and truly like, perfectly cooked I was like yeah whatever it's and and I got the greatest gift which was that I'm able to choose my jobs now you know yeah. and that, that's all I ever wanted I better do this I was about to say talking of good we'd better read it yeah.